Once you grab your Bibles, as always, with enthusiasm, with excitement, this is God's Word. He is more than able to use it to accomplish great things in our midst and in our lives. So we're going to the book of Hebrews. You can turn there if you'd like, and before we do anything else, I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for this year. Thank you for 2024. Thank you for the things that you've already stirred within us and done amongst us as your people. Lord, thank you for this coming uh, week and couple of weeks as we launch into some new things as a church family. Father, we just acknowledge our need of your grace. Our desire is only ever to move in response to what you're saying, not moving ahead, but not lagging behind. So lead us, Lord, I pray this morning as we turn to your scriptures through the power of your spirit, cause your words to come alive in our hearts. May they bear great fruit for the glory of your name, King Jesus. Do what you desire to do. It's the longing of our heart to see you more clearly, that we might love you more deeply and display the glorious grace of our Savior to a world who desperately needs to see you. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 1. So we're actually continuing a journey that we began probably three weeks, maybe four weeks ago. We kicked off a series. It's going to be a focus this year, looking at this incredible book, the letter to to Hebrews. And then, of course, we had a bit of a break, but in some ways it's been an unintentional series in and of itself. I know Adam preached a message for those who were here a few weeks back, and he talked about Jesus, this, this account in the Gospels, Jesus in the midst of the storm, and he's in the boat, and the disciples are panicking, and he's having a little nap. And they're like, what do we do? Well, let's go and find Jesus. And Jesus speaks in the midst of the storm. And the, the emphasis in the heart there was this thing of, of what, what is it that can really cut through, was his words, in the, the secular, humanistic society and a society that we could use so many colorful words to describe. But what is it that really has the power and the weight and the authority to make a difference? And effectively, his emphasis was, it's Jesus. It's Jesus in the boat with us, and it's his words in the midst of the storm. Now, I don't think he intentionally meant to, but that certainly fits exactly in with where we were at in the book of Hebrews. Tanya, last Sunday, of course, her whole emphasis in that particular message was, first of all, that God is a God who speaks. He does. That's what we see from the beginning of Genesis through to the end of the scriptural account. New heavens and a new earth is this God who speaks to his people. It's, it's not just his desire to, to know his omniscience, to know that he is somehow behind everything. It's been his desire and his heart and his intent to personally meet with his people from Adam and Eve in the garden through to his people, the Israelites, as he camped amongst them, as he invited all of them. And of course, they stood at a distance and said, well, Moses can go. And that wasn't his intent. His intent was for them to personally know him. But, but most completely and most fully, we see that reality in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's how the, the author begins this letter, just to get us up to speed. Um, and we'll just pick it up from the beginning, given it's been a little while. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And that's really what we covered 
the last time, is that he's a God who speaks in various ways, times, prophetically, through circumstances, through uh, divine encounters, dreams, visions. He, he speaks to his people. But most completely and most fully, we see his communication, his reaching out, his, his radical invitation into relationship through the person of Jesus Christ. The clearest voice, one defining and central declaration, one ultimate proclamation is found in Jesus Christ. So again, it's, it's just review, getting us up to speed. So there was many means of conversations. The, they were the precursors. He is the fulfillment. They preached expecting, expectantly of the coming Messiah, the divine kingdom. Jesus came to proclaim, establish, and demonstrate the kingdom. So he's not only, if you like, the fulfillment of these prophecies, but the very foundation of truth that the prophecies are built upon, and therefore the lens through which we view God himself. He's not just speaking for God, he's speaking as God. And There's a mystery there that we could camp out for some time, but we're moving on. That kind of gets us up to speed. There's a God who speaks, but demonstrably and powerfully and radically we see that most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ, not just in, as Tanya brought out last week, not just in what he said, the words recorded, but in what he did, how he related, how he acted. What, what, was, what was it he was speaking to us with his actions as well as his words? So the author continues from verse 3. He, being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Continues in verse 5. For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I'll be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all of God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, of Jesus, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your com companions. Verse 10, and you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hand. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not just ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Let's pause for a moment. We're actually heading for chapter 2, verse 1. But we see here this initial proclamation that Christ is the fulfillment, the ultimate declaration, the clearest expression of God's heart and will and purpose and communication. And what the author here is trying to do is, is outline some of the credentials. And this is who Jesus is. We see verse 4, he, he points out the superiority. Verse 5, the fact that he is the very son of God. Verse 6, the heir of all things, the heir of all things. Verse 8, the exalted king. Verse 9, the Lord of righteousness. Verse 10, the creator. Verse 12, the eternal one. Verse 13, the ultimate conqueror. 
Now, we could spend some time elaborating on each and every one of those terms, and indeed that would be a, a worthy pursuit. But for our purposes this morning, that's, that's the picture. God has spoken in the form of Jesus, and this is who he is. He's not just an angel. He's greater, he's bigger, he's more mighty. It, it, he, it, he's the son of God. This, this, this is who he is. This is what he's come to accomplish. And then our focus this morning, re- remember the other thing I said as we began this letter is the, the author to the, the book of Hebrews, he's, he's writing this letter to encourage and to stir a people. Obviously in the midst of some things happening, there's some discouragement and disappointment, there's people turning elsewhere. And he encourages them by proclaiming this magnificent and mighty picture of Jesus. This is who he is and this is how you should live in response. That's, that's his heart and his intent, to proclaim Jesus. This is who Jesus is. Remember that. Don't lose sight of that. And in fact, he'll eventually build this up after having declared who Jesus is and said, so set your sight on him. Like, where else are you going to look anyway? But if you want to run the race effectively, then set your sight on Jesus and you'll run with passion and with purpose. So that's chapter 1, our focus this morning, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore... And all of these, as we go through any text, this is where you, you stand up to attention. You think, okay, well, what, what is the response? God has spoken. He's a speaking God. He sent Jesus. This is who Jesus is, this mighty, magnificent, eternal, uncreated Savior of the world. Therefore, we must. So again, underline that one. This is not, this is not optional. It might be a good idea, guys. It's a suggestion. If, if, if on your better days, when you're feeling like, he says, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. Therefore, we must, some translations say, take heed. There's an intentionality. We must be listening and not just listening, grabbing a hold of what it is that we've seen and heard, lest we drift away. Some translations again say fall away. The picture is, if you imagine, a, for, for those who are into the boats, the boat must be tied to some kind of a tether, be it tied to the shore, be it an anchor that holds it steady, be it moored to the dock. Because there is a reality that you discover very quickly, for good or for bad reasons, that there's tides. Whether you like it or not, you're in the midst of tides. Tides are coming, tides are going, tides are are shifting and changing. And if you do not, by very nature of not being tethered and tied to something, you will find yourself drifting away. You wake up in the morning and all of a sudden the boat's out to sea. You panic. That's the first picture. He's saying this is who Jesus is and this is what he is to you. He is an anchor. He is a mooring. He is able to hold you steady. But you must take heed that you are anchored, that you are connected, that you are tethered to that reality, building your lives on that foundation, lest you drift away. A couple of weeks ago, I um, bumped into a neighbor of mine. Uh, we live, for those who don't know, out of town a little bit on a property. So I was surprised to see him at a place in Fishwick. It was a uh, trailer repair shop, getting some repairs done on my trailer. And I was like, hello, fancy seeing you here. And In fact, I was trying to be particularly nice because a couple of weeks prior, we'd had a, a firm but loving message from his wife informing us that one of our goats had escaped and eaten 
the entirety of their vegetable crop. But she just spent a lot of time preparing and getting ready for the season. So I went out of my way to say, look, it's great to see you and smiling and had a bit of a chat. And there's about two sentences into the discussion. He said, you know what? I can still remember that time that you crashed your car on your property. It's like, okay, it's about five, six years ago, but that's where we're going. He's like, oh, it was hilarious. You know, I, was, I saw the whole thing from my living room window. Well, thank you. Ha ha. Very funny. Yes. Um, Technically, for those who haven't heard the story, I didn't crash the car. The car crashed itself. But what, what had happened that particular day is that I had, we have a couple of paddocks. It's quite a steep block. And I was building some shelters for the aforementioned goats, soon to become perhaps goat curry. We'll see. And I was building some, um, some goat shelters. And I'd just finished creating one of these structures up on the top of the hill and had to quickly pack up to jump in the car to go and pick up my kids from school. So I grabbed the tools, stuck them in the back of the ute, jumped in the car, and then I realized that I'd forgotten my phone. And the phone was inside the little barn that I was creating. I'm like, no worries. Jumped out of the car, ran inside, and I turned the car on. I forgot to mention that. Obviously taken the handbrake off, jumped on out, and forgotten to engage the handbrake. Now, it's a steep block, but I was on enough of an angle that as I jumped out, I didn't actually notice any movement. If I had, who's done that before? You sort of jump out and the car moves and you quickly pull on the handbrake. But I, uh, I hadn't done that, so I went inside the barn, I picked up my phone, and the first thing I, I heard was this noise. And I thought, that's odd, what is that noise? And I peeked around out of the corner of the barn, and all of a sudden there was my car picking up momentum as it careered down this hill. Long story short, it went all the way through the property, got air over a little embankment across the road. The only thing that saved it from the neighbor's dam was a fence that it collected on the way and stopped just shy. Car was written off and apparently still is a source of much amusement in our neighborhood as they <laughs> recount this particular tale. Now, I tell the story for this particular reason. We have here in this account this, this urgent plea from the writer to Hebrews. He's saying there is a context and there is a call. The context is you, 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 find, you, you are. You're in the midst of slippery slopes. You're in the midst of, of uh, shifting tides. The world around you is moving fast. Not in a good direction. You, you just by nature are in the midst of a challenging environment that if you're not fixed and tethered, if you're not engaged with the handbrake on, there's only one inevitable conclusion. What good is a handbrake? What good is a tether if it's not engaged and fully on? It's useless, as I discovered. I can give you the detailed version if there's any doubt, any shadow of doubt in your particular mind. See, it seems like such a simple thing. Ah, oh, I don't need to tether the boat. Oh, it'll be right. I'm just jumping out to grab the phone two seconds, and before you know it, the rest, as they say, is history. So there is a, a warning here for us. There's a need that, to, to take caution. He's saying we must pay close attention. The first message was Jesus is speaking. That's what Adam said as well. Jesus is with us. He's, he's the voice that can cut through the clarity, the confusion with his clarity. So the question to us is, are we listening? 
Therefore, we must pay much closer attention. We must take heed. We must ensure that we are tethered and grabbing a hold of that which we have and find in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a few interesting pictures in here, just as we unpack this a little bit. You would have noticed, I'm sure, perhaps as we went through this, this focus on the angelic, Jesus being greater, being superior, being more authoritative than the angels. And it kind of sounds a little bit strange to our Western mindsets, remembering that this book in particular, the author is writing to, to Hebrews. He's not writing in the midst of, they lived in a Greek world, but specifically to address the Greek thought of the time. And there, there is, as there is to this day, a focus in uh, Eastern thought as opposed to Western or more Greek-based thought that elevates the authority of divine revelation, as in something that came directly from the Lord or via an angel, etc. In fact, I was listening to a podcast, I think I've shared this before, Jesus Speaks Farsi, which is a, um, a documentary account of the explosion of the underground church in Iran. And this particular podcast interviews pastors. The last 20 years has just seen, you know, despite persecution, despite opposition, the gospel has just gone crazy, as it does, as it always does. And one of these pastors was, uh, was interviewed. And in fact, he'd had, this pastor had had an interesting journey because he'd grown up in Iran, and then he'd gone to the UK and the US to study. He'd done a, a master's and then a doctorate, and then he'd come back to Iran to... Uh, be a part of the church planning movement there. And he said, I've noticed a strange dichotomy uh, in the, the Eastern thought, if you like, that I grew up in in that space versus the Western thought. And he said, in the Eastern thought, and this is today, not 2,000 years ago, he said, it's funny, but there is this, this priority and this weight given to divine revelation, like a, a vision from the Lord, a dream, an, an, an angelic um, Utterance, that's given greater weight because the thought is that if it's directly from the Lord or through an angel, then it can't be corrupted by human wisdom and thought. It's, it's, it's pure. And he said, the funny thing is, as I've studied in the West, it's the exact opposite. That in the Western environment, that they prioritize knowledge and truth. They kind of err away from anything to do with you know, dreams, visions. That's okay in some spaces, in other spaces not, but, but we really prioritize truth. And the reason is because, you know, that can be maybe thwarted, can be subjective, whereas truth is, it's foundational and, you know, we can base it on our human knowledge, this strange tension and dichotomy. But it is interesting because as this pastor was interviewed, he, he said, the amazing thing is the number one way that people come to the Lord in the Middle East is through supernatural dreams and visions. In fact, I came across an account, I don't think I've shared this here um, at church, but like many of us, um, so much happening in the world and hard to know how to pray. God, what do we even do in the midst of this circumstance and situation other than just praying your kingdom come? But this is in the midst of the, the Palestinian and the Israel conflict that's over there. And it's from a group of believers who were ministering to um, the people in Gaza. This, I'll just read exactly the, the uh, recount. So over the past two days, we've ministered to hundreds of families. Many, if not all, have lost their children in this conflict. And as we moved them to safety, we fed them, washed their clothes, and began to read the Bible to them, sharing the way of peace through Jesus. He continued, then a big miracle happened. Last night, Jesus appeared to more than 200 of them 
in their dreams in the same night. He said the next morning they were hugging each other and rejoicing, realizing they'd all seen the same vision and came back to us saying, we want to know more about Jesus. We want to know more about his word. So that, that happened the end of last year. In fact, this past week, I just heard a testimony of a, a Palestinian terrorist who's become a Christian who's now doing work in Gaza, and he confirmed similar kinds of accounts that he is aware of. In the midst of, even there, in the midst of what is just a, a, a horrible, hard situation, God is still able to work. He still is. He's still at work. Well, that encourages me. <laughs> I'm like, you can, you can do it even in Canberra, Lord, even in the midst of hardened, secularized, humanistic, whatever, antagonistic. God, you can move, and that's our prayer and desire. Anyway, that's a little bit off track. So the point is this. Um, we talked about East versus West. He, he prioritizes here. He's saying Jesus' revelation is greater than the angels. It kind of makes sense to us. But for them, clearly they were prioritizing, well, we need confirmation from a dream or a vision or you know, an, an angel to come and declare things. And he's like, well, hang on a second. You've got Jesus. He's not just speaking for God. He's speaking as God. He is superior to the angels. In the same way, we could say to, to Western thought of, well, you know, we need something that's, that's truth, that's grounded in, in God's word. We can't get any more God's word than when it comes out of God's mouth, right? Than the words of Christ. So whether your priority is divine revelation or it's truth and something to bedrock your faith, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. He is. That's what he's saying. He's the ultimate foundation. He's the ultimate tether. He's the ultimate stability that we can, with great confidence, build our lives upon this unrivaled authority and this unshakable foundation. I had uh, lunch with a friend of mine uh, probably two or three weeks ago now. We caught up just around the corner here for burgers, and he looked me up after, I think it had been seven or eight years since I'd last had a message from him. We used to be better friends, and I knew that he'd kind of walked away from his faith, and he said, look, can we catch up? I said, great, let's, let's hang out. Didn't quite know if he had an agenda or anything. And so we were having burgers around the corner here, kind of midway through the conversation. He was telling me about his new motorbike and his toys and all the money he needs to do different things. And, and I just kind of stopped in the middle. And I'm like, yeah, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Like, where are you at with God? And he looked a bit kind of like, oh. He's like, I, I thought you were going to probably ask me that question. I said, well, yeah, talk about motorbikes or talk about the eternal state of your soul, then there's, there's a bit of a, a priority in my mind. I, I, he's like, all right, yeah, I guess we should have that chat. And he's like, honestly, I don't believe any of it anymore. You know? and, and he had his, his list of um, grievances, some hurts that had happened to him in the church, you know, a list of issues that he felt were insurmountable. And uh, in each instance, I was like, I'll just let him talk, let him speak. And then it came to the point where it was finished. I thought I could address any of those in detail, but we'll be here all week. And I said, what would it take? Like, what would it take? You've, you, know, you, you know your Bible. You've got a theological understanding, at least, of who Jesus is. What, what would it actually take for you to be convinced that it's real? And he said two things. He's like, well, uh, either something definite like something that is beyond any shadow of a doubt, something that I can, you know, I can grab a hold of and, and like that's, 
that, that, is, that is something that I can really build my faith upon, was his first one. His second one was he said some kind of, either that or some kind of like supernatural encounter. I think he was thinking, you know, God turns up in my, my bedroom or something. I'm not quite sure. And so I said to him quite directly, I said, okay, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? Because Jesus fulfills both of those things to the T. He is God in human flesh. It's this great miracle, but it's undeniable. And he is this foundation. The builders rejected. But the foundation and the cornerstone of our... What, what do you do with Jesus? It's, it's undeniable. And he kind of sat quiet for a minute and he's like, yeah, I got nothing. I guess you're right. Yeah, I, I just, I, I'd never really thought of it that way. And then we kind of moved on the conversation. I didn't want to push too hard and, well, maybe you should get down on your knees here in the pub and repent and maybe, maybe next time. But you just got to gently, gently prompt people and help them along at times. But there is this reality. I know N.T. Wright, he, uh, he's a guy, um, theologian, I mention him regularly, but he's often asked. He's been in, in the scriptures for 40, 50 years, written hundreds of books, and he's like, what, what is your go-to? Like if someone's asking you about the Christian faith, where, where do you point people to? And he says straight away, I've heard him say this multiple times, he said straight away without any shadow of doubt, I point him to Jesus. I point him to Jesus. And he said, in fact, if you want something more specific, he says, I point them to the resurrection. Because if there is, as we believe, I believe with all my heart, you can go and see it for yourself. If there's an empty tomb, if there's a man who rose from the dead and was seen by hundreds, if, if, if that single piece of truth is indeed true, then there is a foundation, an undeniable foundation. As C.S. Lewis said famously generations ago, there's, there's, no, there's no wiggle room, there's no middle room with Jesus. Either he is a madman, either he is crazy, or he is the Son of God that came to seek and save the lost, proclaim and demonstrate his kingdom by dying and rising from the grave on the third day. There's no middle ground, it's one or the other. There is... As we come to Jesus, we run into this unrivaled authority and this unshakable foundation. There's a handbrake, there's an anchor, there's a hope, there's a clarity, there's a peace, there is a truth. And we could elaborate that, I know I've done it in many other messages, there's plenty of other places we could go, but I hope at least the points come across. There is, there's this, this undeniable reality. You cannot avoid it. You can deny it. Plenty of people do. But you cannot avoid that reality that you come to Jesus and it is one way or another. Either he's a fraud or there is an unshakable foundation for our faith that he is who he said he is and he did and accomplished what he came to say to do and accomplish. So my question then is to us as we bring this to a conclusion. If that is the case, and this is the instruction, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard. What voice for us is the loudest? What is it? What voice for us is the loudest? If we were honestly to take stock of our lives, what voice is the loudest? I heard a little, uh, I saw a little um, tweet, a little comment on social media from a guy, Michael Brown, Bible teacher. 
a um, author and theologian, and he had this, which I thought was great. He said, I've decided to make my goal for this year to talk more about Jesus than politics. Now, he's obviously in the American environment, in the US space, American election year. But I thought, isn't, isn't that great? Not just in politics, but for us to think that through and to make that our goal. Our goal for this year is to talk more about Jesus than sport. Than Taylor Swift, maybe, for a given that's all over the news. Is that more relevant for some of us, maybe? More about Jesus. Jesus more in view than YouTube shorts. Preaching to one of my kids there. Just subtly, just quietly. Jesus more than my problems. Jesus more than the stuff that's around me. Jesus more than my preference. See, it's so easy, isn't it, to be consumed more by the tide, worried about the tide. Do you know how you stand steady in the midst of the tide? Do you know how you, you stand steady in the midst of an incline? Do we need to go back to that story? You can try and fight the incline as much as you want. I ran after that car. I was not catching up. I did think about an Indiana Jones moment to jump in the window. And How do you... St- How do you stay steady? You put the handbrake on. You make sure you're tethered to the pylon. You make sure the anchor is, there's an anchor there. You don't fight the tide. And I mean, sometimes I think we get so concerned about all the stuff that's out there, consumed by it. We want to be aware of that. I'm not saying we'd be ignorant of what's going on in the world, but we should be consumed by the anchor. We should be consumed by that which holds us steady, by the foundation, consumed by his words and his truth. This one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Look at me. Follow me. What are you caught up in all that other stuff for? Follow me. Is his voice the loudest? What's central to your view, your perspective, what you're listening? Is it the greatness of the problems around you or is it the greatness of his power? Is it the greatness of your sin or the greatness of his grace, the power of his blood that's able to set us free? Are we gripped by fear and anxiety or are we far more gripped by the promise of his peace? Overcome by shame or rejoicing in his power? His voice speaking, it has spoken. His voice is an anchor. Have we got the guys able to come back up? Somebody? Guys and girl, sorry. See, our, our mission as a church and our mission as believers personally, it's not somehow to move on from Christ. I've actually heard that preached personally and in church services. Well, Christ was kind of just the way in. But now it's up to us. Now we've got to kind of think up clever programs. Now we've got to do all these other bits and pieces. We've got to kind of take over from what Jesus did and and make this whole thing happen. The mission of the church is not to somehow move on from Christ, but it's to let him and to continue to let him take central place in our worship, in our lives, in our preaching, in our listening, in our focus, in the passion and the pursuits of our lives. 
So he's going to go on. He's going to go on and say, just fix your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on him. If your eyes are there, truly there, you cannot go wrong. The moment your eyes are not there, it's a foregone conclusion. You're going to get swept up. You're going to get moved on. It's going to be disaster and disappointment. So that is my goal as we go through this series. It's to preach, it's to proclaim, it's to stir up fresh affection for Jesus. To continually point us back to who he is. And the thought for this morning is he he is the anchor. He is an anchor. If you're feeling lost, someone said that to me this week. It's a regular thing. Just, man, I just feel lost. feel lost. feel confused. The good news is there is one who is clarity in the midst of the confusion. There's one who says, well, just come and follow me and I will lead you. I will show you. Maybe there's some of us feeling discouraged, disappointed, just stuck at the bottom of the same old stuff. I want to remind you this morning that there is Jesus he said this is my mission I've come to preach proclaim liberty to set free captives to bind up broken hearts so there is an anchor there's a firm foundation there's a light there's a truth there's assurance there is peace There is hope, not just principles. It's a person. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Just close your eyes just as we finish. I'd love to pray for us. I want you to turn your attention to him, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the author, perfecter of our faith, the one who is at work in the midst of us, in spite of us accomplishing his plans purposes. I want to ask you this question this morning. How secure is your anchor? Much good in a handbrake unless it's engaged. So many false saviors. So many places. So many voices. So many narratives. So easy to get caught up. My invitation to us this morning to turn our eyes back to Jesus, to get caught up in Him, to see who He is, to believe what He's done for us, and to place your trust afresh in the only firm foundation and the only anchor that will stand steady. So Holy Spirit, I just pray this morning, just as we give you a few moments space and time before we head off into another week various places, various things before us and Lord I thank you for that that invitation for us to be an anchored people a steady people I thank you that there is a solid rock where all around at times it feels is is sinking sand you're the God who, who picks us up out of the, the miry clay. You place our feet firmly upon a rock. 
Well, I pray particularly for anyone this morning, maybe there's a few, maybe there's many who do feel like things are just a little out of control. Things are crazy. I feel lost. Even now, Lord, would this be a moment of turning our attention back to you? Not trying to fight the tides, but just to retether, to resecure our hope to re-secure our affection. To step again on that firm foundation. To fully trust in you. And I want to encourage you this morning, it may be that you've never fully trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who He is, what He's done for you. There's that opportunity this morning. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. I want you to come and see me this morning. For the rest of us, the invitation this morning is to come and stand firm afresh, to be strengthened, to trust again. In Jesus' name.